This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, listeners and viewers. Uh, today's topic is going to be Chuba. I'm going to try, and that's a plan, Hashem, to try to combine the whole entire Chuba process as much as I can into one class. So you don't have to go to like the... the, the there are three basic processes. We're going to split it into four, but we'll, we'll clarify that. At, uh, when we get to those parts, we'll have to go through a little bit of introduction before we actually get to the actual part of the chuba. Now, there was uh, when I was when I was preparing for this class and I was thinking about how to present it and what to say. There are some things here that are that sound very strict, and for beginners, maybe you know, it'll be a little bit too tough. And then I was thinking, you know what? No, I'm going to tell everything the way it is today. So things that you're going to hear today might sound a little bit harsh, it might sound like I'll never be able to do that, which is false, we'll speak about that, but uh, um, we're going to say everything the way that it is, and just know that we're going to go through the process of Chuba, even though you think that you won't be able to do it, it's not an all or nothing type of situation, it's not like if I can't do that, uh, it's not going to happen, so forget it, I'm not even going to do Chuba, no, you do as much as you can out of all these steps that we're going to get, and obviously the goal is, is for you to know it. If you know the full spectrum of the chuba, so by the time it gets to the chuba, you'll be like, you know, all right, I know here, but I know I'm not done. And there are many people, there are many people that they know the chuba process, but how many of them actually do it? Many of them know that they have the ability to do chuba, but they don't do it. And I speak to so many people, I, I, I I would love it for people to start telling me the good stuff. Right, that stuff I hear all the time, all the time. Everybody's, uh, you know, I, 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 people have to understand also, first of all, is that um, it's not the priest relationship, you know, like, Rabbi, I have sinned, you know. And but why it is important, you have to tell a Rabbi if you you have sinned, if you have done certain sins, so you know how to fix it. But the problem goes afterwards is that the Rabbi tells you how to fix it, and I've I've known some people that were close to me that I that come to my classes for for a long time, and I know they've done certain sins, and I told them what they have to do, and it's it's like serious stuff. I'm not talking about like little sins. I'm talking about like the, the what. Not murder yet. I think that's the only one that I haven't had yet. Both Hashem. Everything else I've had, by the way. Everything else on the spectrum, I've had people speak to me about. Murder, both Hashem, not. And I hope I don't uh, get involved with that. You know, uh, but uh, but I've I've had I have had heard of a lot of stuff that uh, people you don't even think exists, but it exists unfortunately. Very serious stuff. I tell them the process of chuba, and they're like, okay, 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 and they don't do it. I could tell that they don't do it. I could tell because there's certain things that I that I would see that if they did, and they don't do it. So the, the, the obvious question is, there is a chuva process. You have this, like, secret key. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. That it's like, you know, imagine somebody gets locked up for 20 years, and um, he has a card in his pocket. All he has to do is show the warden the card, and then he just gets out of jail. In the card, he says, tell the warden you're sorry, and you're not going to do it again. You know, and that's and he's like, he's like, no, no, I'm going to sit in jail, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to... People, you have a get out of jail free card that in the next world you'll come clean. But people for some reason don't do it. But then there are people who do do it. They do partial. They do partial chuba, which I think was just a large category of people. When they do chuba, I don't think that they do it completely to extent. There are many people that they do. They are tzaddikim. They're righteous people who do complete chuba. But there are many people that at least that I speak to that they do chuba. They do. They repent. They try to get close to the God. But it's not complete, and you can but tell that it's not complete. Even partial is better than nothing. Absolutely, partial is better than yeah. Absolutely, even a little bit is better than uh, than something. Amen. Okay. Now there are also some people who think, uh, you know, what? I was religious from birth. I don't need to do chuba. You know who has to do chuba? Oh, I'll tell you who has to do chuba. You know, a whole list of names. They have to do chuba. Oh, they're wicked sinners. You know, and and but real people don't. Everybody has to do chuba. 
Every single person has to do tshuva. Every single person should consider themselves about tshuva. There are people that go to rabbis and be like, uh, you know, rabbi, are you about tshuva? And almost every rabbi will answer the same thing. I hope so. I really hope so that I'm about tshuva. Everybody has to be about tshuva. They have these like terminology now, the from from birth, the FFBs, mm-hmm. and then the BTs, and the BTLs, and all these <laughs> other weird uh, terminology. Everybody should be BTs. Everybody should be about tshuva. And, uh, the, you know, there is... Also, there, there are some people that they don't even know that they have to do tshuva, which means is they're, they're ignorant. By the way, ignorance is not bliss. If this is poison, God forbid, and I drink it, I didn't know it's poison. Is it going to have an effect on me? Absolutely. But I, I didn't know. How am I supposed to, you know, how I, had I known I wouldn't have drink it? So people think that, oh, ignorance is, if I don't know about the sin, it's not going to be so bad. That's an excuse that doesn't really work that well. What about, like, I have a um, Tinochtin Yes, there is a Tinochtin so There is, in that category, there is in a certain aspect of it that it does work. It does work that you don't know it. But when is that case? That case, let me give you an, an easy example to, to, real, to know that. A person is born, born Jewish. He's, uh, and, and by the age of two, he gets kidnapped by the KGB. And the KGB sends him off to Siberia, and he becomes a soldier. For the next 65 years, right, the, whatever the term is, in, or life sentence, whatever, a soldier in KGB, he is a Russian soldier for the rest of his life. He grows up not even knowing what's a Jew. He was circumcised. He was everything. He was born to a righteous family. But he was taken away, and he has, knows nothing about Judaism, nothing at all. So when he comes up to heaven, he has an excuse. He really does have an excuse, and he's not going to get penalized for something. I, I didn't even know. I didn't. What's a Jew? What's a Torah? I never heard about that. I was, you know, in the, in the wilderness over there. So... Most cases over here, you can't really claim that. You could cl- people think, you know what they think that they, they consider themselves as? If someone says, oh, you know, blah, 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 I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I don't want to know about it. I'm going to do it anyways, i just rather not know about it. So they think that's going to that's gonna be like, well, I never knew. And God's going to be like, oh, really, you didn't know. But like, well, what about this person that I wanted to tell you? Like, oh, can you see, I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't hear anything. I'd be like, now I have to punish you for two things. Why didn't you hear when they told you? And number two is, why didn't you, why didn't you learn? Okay, so now... I had actually a very interesting uh, question that came to me. Actually, that uh, came to me multiple times, surprisingly. People come up to me. Uh, the most, the, the oddest thing is, is that I've had this numerous times in actual classes, full classes, and they will come, there will, one guy would be sitting there, and he'll, you know, like raise his hand or just blurt it out. He'd be like, Rabbi, he's like, uh, am I going to go to hell? So, first of all, I tell, I say straight out, first of all, no, I, nobody can judge you. I cannot judge you. Only God can judge you. I don't know your test, and I don't know anything like anything to, to an extent of your emotional upbringing and everything. Like that, even though I was very close to this particular person, but I happen to know this particular person doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't keep kosher, doesn't keep young people, doesn't keep anything. You know. So after that introduction, I said, "Oh, you're you're definitely going to hell. You're like if you're lucky, you'll get to go to hell, as opposed to ka- kafakela. Like, wh- what did you expect? What did you think you'd say? Be like, ah, come on, no, no, you got a connection up there. Like people think. I asked him, "What's the biggest rabbi that you know?" And he gives you some big rabbi. And I tell him, do you think you're going to be next to that big rabbi? Like, what, was the, what is even the question? Of course, if you don't listen, there is going to be consequences for the, for, the, for the actions. Sometimes the consequences are only in the next world. Sometimes the consequences are only over here. But one thing is for sure, it's in, uh, inevitable. It's going to happen. So it's best to get, make sure to get rid of it. Get rid of it so that, that when you come out to the next world, or if there's supposed to be a punishment in this world, you don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that pain and suffering. Now, there is uh, um, many people that think, you know, there's no point. I can't live my life that way. I'm going to live my life a certain way, and I cannot change. And that is 100% false. There is no such thing as that. Imagine there's one guy who goes over to a doctor, and this guy is extremely overweight, has some heart problems, and the doctor tells him, listen, you have got to go on a diet. 
And the guy starts laughing at the doctor and be like, Doc, if I go on the diet, the second I step over the threshold of your office, my diet is over. Huh. He's like, my life is food, right? I wake up in the morning with a bag of chips on my stomach already. It's already, you know, some people, you know, when they're still sleeping, they could they light a cigarette still because they're so addicted. To He's like, by me, my cake is in my mouth already before I even open my eyes. He says, I can't. I live food. And the guy, the doctor says, listen, it's, it's very unhealthy for you. You got to change. And he says, it's not going to happen. It's, it's just not possible. Years go by. The doctor keeps on warning him. He's not changing anything. Finally, the doctor goes and, uh, you know, oh, finally this guy goes and just has a heart attack. He has a heart attack. He gets rushed to the emergency room. They do, they, they have to do bypass. And, you know, his heart was, was going haywire. They come, uh, uh, after he settles in and he gets, he's in recovery, the, the doctor calls him and says, listen, says, if you don't change the way that you eat, you're not going to live out the year. That guy became the biggest health nut you've ever seen. He will, you know, started jogging, started running, started eating apples all day, right? He eating carrots and celery and all the things that whatever has zero calories, I don't know. But all those things that he's just, he's just all, he is a health nut. He knows calories, saturated fat, I don't know, trans fat, I don't know what all these things are, right? And he knows everything and he knows exactly what he's doing. He became the health nut. So he changed. And so they asked the doctor, oh, how'd you change? So I thought you can't do it. Says you, the answer is you could have. You could always do it. You just didn't want it bad enough. Now that you realize the consequences, now you realize how much you really want it, now is when you change. And the same thing with, with, uh, with Judaism and religion. You could do it. You could do anything. Anybody has the potential to do anything. The problem is, is why don't people do that? It's because they don't want it hard enough. They don't want it bad enough, right? If somebody wants to become a doctor, they could do it. No matter if they're hollow, if there's nothing going on, if there's... They could do it if they if they really tried hard enough. The answer the the, the bottom line is is you're not doing it because you don't want it bad you don't want it bad enough. People also Rabbi Chatzke Levinstein um, would, said as follows. He said that he was a meshgiach in the mirror and later a punovich. He said that um, you know many people know that they're going to get punished for certain sins, but they don't realize it's not like an overall be like all right you did a sin over here. It goes into detail. Like, you get reward for every single detail. Like, for example, you're coming to listen to Shio Torah. You listen online to Shio Torah. You watch Shio Torah. Whatever it is that you're doing, you don't get reward for just, all right, I learned Torah for an hour. Every single time that there, in every minute, you could speak 200 words, let's say. Me, maybe a little bit faster because I speak a little bit on the fast side. <laughs> Whatever it is, say, every single word, you get another reward. So that's, that's crazy. You could get, like, hundreds of thousands of mitzvot just from learning Torah. Mm-hmm. Now... It goes the other way around. Let's see somebody, a man, a man is required to learn Torah. A woman doesn't have that requirement. A man has a requirement to learn Torah. If he doesn't learn Torah, he's, he's, going, he's violating in between Torah. He's violating uh, that, that he is required to learn Torah and he's not. Now he thinks, okay, so I didn't learn for an hour, so I'll get by. He's like, no, no, no. You didn't learn for an hour, had 60 minutes. Each minute was able to ca- can carry 200 words of Torah. 200 times a 60 times whatever it is. That's how much you're going to get punished for every single word that you missed. It's a whole, it's a serious picture. It's not like a, like a, you know, like, all right, you know, I have a scale. There's going to be one block over here, one block over here. It's going to be millions and billions of little tiny things that are all compiled together. Now, the, the obvious question is, is what is the point of Chuba? What is the point? What is the goal, I should say? So here's something very interesting that most people do not know this. So there's something called free will. Question? I don't know. There's, there's something called free will, and there is something that is conditioning. Now, let's say that, you know, most people do not have a temptation, or I should even say free will to murder. Nobody really wants to murder, and they're just not murdering somebody because they don't want to get caught. Uh, but, but for some people, you know, it's not. They have a temptation to murder. 
Some people call them psychos, right? Those people, or ISIS, whatever it is, they have a temptation to, to, to murder. And, and it's, the temptation is real. Like, let me, let me paint this picture. Let's say you're sitting uh, in, a, in a forest, and there's an old grandmother there that you have to, like, carry in, like, a wheelchair through all these bumps. And nobody knows her. Nobody will ever find out. You could, you could like, commit murder. Like, the thrill of making someone's life leave that. You could do it. You could do it without a problem. Guaranteed no one will ever find out. Most people... I hope to say 99.9% of people will still not murder that person. They wouldn't. They don't have... It's not even a, like a, a temptation, like, oh, I could murder... It's not even... It doesn't even... It's not... It's conditioned. They're conditioned not to want murder. Other people, for example, ISIS, will sit there with... An, if, that, if that person is Jewish or Christian, whatever it is, they have a very strong temptation to murder. And the temptation is real. The struggle is real. They have the temptation. So what is... So there's free will, which is the free will. And then there's conditioning where, it's, where you're not even touching that. You're not even going to go close to that sin. So the point of repentance, the point is, is to get it rid of the free will and make it a conditioning, which means is that you will not come, you're conditioned not to sin again. You follow me with that? Was that clear? Very important. The point of, the point of, of, of repentance is not only to not to stop doing it. The ultimate, ultimate, the highest level of repentance is to condition yourself that it will never happen because you're not, you're conditioned not to, not to, not to murder. You're conditioned not to do the sin that you, uh, fell. And this is also how Rab Dessler explains it. He explains that you convert your free choice into compulsion. And, and this is how he classifies the two levels of sin. He says the first, I'm sorry, two levels of tuba. He says the first, you succeed in suppressing the desire for sin, but the, but the temptation there still remains. At the second level, the, the temptation ceases completely. You're not even tempted to sin. So, so good, so strong is your, is your, is your chuba. Now, the Shalei Chuba, in the first chapter in Shalei Chuba, this is, this is a book, if somebody wants to do Chuba, there's a few books that I would recommend, a few things I would recommend. Number one is Shalei Chuba. The Gates of Repentance is, uh, um, is unbelievable. The Rambam also speaks about uh, Chuba, and Hilchot Chuba is also very good, uh, as well as Chovot al Vavot also speaks about it, which we're going to focus a lot on also on today. But the Shavei Chuba says as follows. He says that people think, you know what, I'll do Chuba later. A common thing that all the time, I'll do Chuba later when I get married or whatever, when I finish doing this. I, I've had actually people that come to me, I'll be like, I'm not ready to do Chuba yet. After the summer... Then we can uh, then we can do stuff. There's too much going on over here. I got the you know summer flings and other things going on. After, let's talk after the summer. But like so so the the Shalai Chuba says that when somebody pushes off Chuba, you're making it that's becoming increasingly harsher. The punishment will be increasingly harsher for that sin. Why? Because it shows that that you don't care. You don't care. You know that you have a way out. You know that there's a way for you to go out, and you know that God is is angry. God is upset at you if we could say that. And, but you, it's not bothering you so much. It's not, you're not scared. Eh, whatever. We'll figure it out. We'll work it out. So that type, that, that shows you're not scared. That makes your punishment harsher. And more than that, if you push off Chuba, it gets harsher. It gets, you have less siyata dishmaya every time you push it off. For example, somebody, and this is a, a very simple to understand. Uh, somebody's 20 years old. He suddenly, you know, he sees the beauty of Judaism. He sees the, you know, the awesomeness of this. He sees that it's, you know, it's really the right thing to do. You know, he wasn't brought up that way, but he sees it's the right thing to do. But he decides, you know, listen, I'm 20 years old. You know, I'm going to college. You know, you know, the dorm, the parties. It, when I finish college, I'm going to do Chuba. Yeah, then I'll, then I'll settle down. So he goes and he doesn't do Chuba yet. He comes a few years later, a few years go by, and, you know, he goes to another speech and, it, it, you know, inspires him again. And it says, you know, like, all right, I'm going to do Chuba. You know, I really, I... 
but you know what? Not just yet. I, you know, I'm still on the dating field. Let me wait until I get married. And every every few years, he keeps on pushing it off. Every time he pushes it off, the amount of help, the easy, the the way, the how how um, easy and effective it would be for him to do it will be much easier if he would have done it right in the beginning. For example, if he did it when he was 20, he would have had 100 percent assistance from from God. But Cuba for what? Changing his life, like like oh, you know, okay. yeah, making himself better. So, but it goes for anything, any any sin, any particular sin. You push it off. The heart, the more you push it off, the less siyata deshmai you'll get to actually help to fix it. You mean it. like being like a preserved shabbat? Yeah, but it doesn't have to be for for you know complete yeah. everything. It could be for oh, one okay. sin. Be somebody did everything but didn't keep shabbat. So the more that he pushes it off, the harder it is. The less the less help that he'll have from heaven. If he doesn't have any, he'll have more help. If he keeps on pushing it off, so every time he pushes it off, you know, 100% of help, 90% of help, 80% of help, till eventually it could go down to 0% of help. But he'll always have the ability to do it. It'll just be very difficult for him. So the more one pushes it off, the more difficult it will become for that person to do chuba. This is also another reason why somebody should not wait. So I'm to be like, okay, I'll wait till then. If you do chuba now, first of all, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to be tomorrow. Says the, uh, the there's the, the Gemara in Bava Kama in the page 50, that says as follows. That says, that, first of all, let me, let me preempt this. There are many people who say, it'll be like, come on, God is that love. You know, usually potheads, right? God is, it's all about love, man. It's all about happiness. And so, you know, God, God is not, he does not care so much about what goes on over here, right? He's, whatever, obviously he cares about the and everything, but everything's about love. And people that think that, that, that God is going to just, you know, forgive and forget if you didn't do repentance, they're very mistaken. Look at this Gemara that says, Whoever, whoever says that God is like a disregarder, you'll be like, ah, don't worry about this one, it's okay. They will, his life will be disregarded. His life, which means is, you, there's nothing that is, go, that is overlooked. There's nothing that is overlooked. There's one of the, it was over here. I don't hit anybody in my, you know. <laughs> Maybe I spit a little. <laughs> Projectile. So the whoever thinks that God is going to disregard a certain sin, they're very mistaken. They're very, very mistaken. They're going to be in a, in a lot of trouble when it comes to the next world. Nothing goes overlooked. Even if the worst sinner, that the worst sinner, he did something good, that also is not going to get overlooked. Everybody gets reward for everything. Yeah. Okay, so um, I heard for about Shuba, they also have to ask Hashem for um, forgiveness for not keeping like the mitzvot like kosher or Shabbat yeah. Shabbat. So um, why, uh, like they weren't exposed to it, why did they have to apologize for it if they were never exposed to it to begin with? So so even though, so there's two, there's there's levels of Shuba, for, for there's levels of sin. There's a level, uh, there's a sin of, let's say, of doing it by accident, it's Shogeg. And then there's a sin of doing it by mezid, which is on purpose. For example, let's just give it a, a simple example. Somebody walks into the bathroom one time, and the, the light's off, and he's sleeping, or she's sleeping, and he accidentally turns off the light. And he's like, oh my God, Shabbat. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, people usually do. They'll close it really quickly. She doesn't yeah. do that. Right? Just leave it open. And that's just, uh, 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 just you, know, you did one thing. Yeah. But that, that was by accident. It wasn't like somebody would be like, I know Shabbat, I don't really care. You know, it flips it open. So that level... It's a very easy repentance. It's not like it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't that you didn't know. You didn't, you know, it was all it was honest. You in the situation that you weren't exposed to it, so why do you have to say sorry for it? Like because it was meant that, to be this way. But. Even though it was meant to be this way, but there's a reason why you were born in that situation. There's a reason why everybody. If somebody's born in a family that's not religious, there's a reason for that. There's a hundred percent a reason for that, as opposed to being born in a religious okay. family. So, so first of all, the when you're doing repentance, when you're fixing yourself, you're not fixing your, you're fixing your soul. But your soul is is not a you know twenty five year old person. Your soul could be thousands. Of, you know, well, it's actually from the from the beginning of the creation. But your soul could be in the world already a few times beforehand. So by doing chuvah, there's actually possibility of you actually fixing things in a previous life. 
But you're, and if you are brought in a situation, now we know, if, for example, this is an easy example to understand. If someone's angry, if someone dies angry, he'll be born angry. He'll have the tendency to be angry. Mm-hmm. Now, why should he do tshuva? By the way, which also nobody knows, you also have to do tshuva for character traits. Anger, laziness, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, jealousy. Nobody knows about What's that. Tshuva for laziness. <laughs> Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. <laughs> but, but you have to repent for all the character traits as well. So if somebody goes and, and somebody has... And now you look at this kid and be like, how, how is this one-and-a-half-year-old angry? You know, where does he get it from? His parents are two sweethearts. You know, how does he get angry? The answer is he was angry already before. Be like, why? Why should he have to change? This is how he was born. And the answer is no. Even though he was born that way, it was a reason why he was born that way because he has to fix something in that in that aspect. So when we repent, we may repent for like five generations before. You're repenting for <laughs> you right now. Not your previous life. But, but your, all your previous life is is like hidden inside of you. Like you have... Like somebody who, uh, here's an... So that means you are repenting. In a way, but you're repenting for what's going on right now. Because that anger is already inside of you now. But when did that anger start? You brought it upon yourself in the earlier. You know, and I'll ex- I used to explain this also if, let's say, somebody is, uh, is, is, uh, is gay, for example. Now, why? They were born that way, let's say. But like, even though they were born that way, it was because of issues that they dealt with in a previous lifetime that led them to that situation. So they caused, ultimately, they caused their, their, their own, uh, you know issues obviously you know it wasn't now it could it could have been in the previous uh, in a previous life it could also be it could, and obviously it could also be from other things it could also be from abuse there's also there's all there's so many factors that only god could judge that why somebody led into that and you know some people are held more accountable than others but everybody's held accountable nobody gets nobody gets off the hook even the abused even people that are abused they're held accountable for sins that they do obviously now obviously this has to be very careful to understand this they are on a, a completely different level and someone did it on purpose they are in a, they're they're considered you know they they had like an they're like you know, it's a terrible situation the abuse and it's a terrible thing of what's going on but in the same sense is is at some level just because somebody gets abused doesn't mean they have a right to abuse other people and if you realize that's usually the way that it goes right they're still highly responsible if they abuse other people oh, I was abused when I was younger it doesn't matter you're still held responsible of your actions good ish mm-hmm. all right yeah now there 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 there's two ways of sinning number one is to not do something that you're supposed to do an easy example is let's say a man is supposed to put on tefillin. By him not putting on tefillin, people think that, okay, I just didn't get reward. And the answer is no, you actually got to sin for not doing what you're supposed to. And the other way, which is the famous one, is doing something that you're not supposed to do, which means God says, don't do this, don't eat not kosher, and you do it. So there's two ways. There's the, in the positive aspect and the negative aspect. The Rambam in Hilchot Shubah explains as, as follows. He says, uh, he classifies the, the sins in four categories. Number one is if you did, a, did not do a positive commandment. You, the, a man, let's use the example of Tulin. A man was supposed to put on Tulin. He didn't put on Tulin. Now, when he does Chuba, the second that he does Chuba, he gets completely forgiven. Completely. Everything. The second he sits down, he does Chuba, he gets up, he's done. The whole sin is gone. Now, then there's another level. Then the other level is when you did something that you weren't supposed to do. That was a, you violated a negative commandment. However, this negative commandment is not a karet or misa b'deshamayim. So it's not a it's not a serious negative commandment like like not keeping Shabbat or or, or eating on Pesach or Hamet or um, you know having one of the sexual you know uh, prohibitions of karet, uh, incest and all those things. But it was a it was a, a, a minor we could say a minor thing. So that for that sin, if you go and you do tshuva, tshuva is still pending. It pends until Yom Kippur. When Yom Kippur comes, then it becomes erased completely. Then there's the next level. That's level number two. The level number three is doing a negative commandment that is punishable by karat. So that requires another step. So you do chuba, you have to wait for Yom Kippur, and then you have to go through suffering. 
And once the suffering goes, then it's completely erased. Then there's the last and final category is Chilul Hashem, desecrating God's name. Desecrating God's name, God's name, you have to go through all the process. You got to do Shuba. You got to wait for Yom Kippur. You got to go through suffering, and then it's still pending and still hovers until death. What if Only you didn't know that you desecrated His name? Like, a sin book. counts as a sin if you. If, let's say, you know, like a Jewish books that with Hashem's name, like you didn't know. You no, didn't I'm talking about like desecrating Chilul Hashem in, in a different uh, in a different manner. We're talking about over here. Let's say somebody who's uh, uh, where's a. Let's say, where's a kippah? Where, you know, the big, and, and he does, like, he starts screaming and cursing in public, and he starts, you know, causing a big, and then everyone's saying, oh, this is, look, look how a Jew acts. That, that, we're but talking without about. the kippah, it's okay? No, it's not. <laughs> Which is why I speak to people, and they tell me, like, well, I'm like, I was speaking to somebody, you know, and I said, why don't you wear a kippah at work? Uh, you know, I say things that I shouldn't say. They're like, that, that has nothing to do, you still have to wear a kippah at work. They're like, no, that's kippah Hashem, I get I'm like, it doesn't, you can't, there's no, like, people think there's a runaround about it. Um, you know, <laughs> so, so first of all, he, th- then they say, but like, I have a past with these guys. These guys know my past. You know, they know what I, you know. So I said, it doesn't matter. So people change, right? People are, are changed people. There's no there's no reason people convince themselves. First of all, if you wear a kippah, you're less likely to do certain things, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's some people that don't wear kippahs. And I tell them, if let's say what happened was, let's say, question? Yeah. What if uh, it's a non, like a so let's say what he's going for the bathroom or is he going to sit there and eat so that's that's a that's a very particular thing so it depends if it's if it's something that is kosher inside of it then then uh, um, for let's say for example somebody goes to, to use the bathroom so you know generally you don't have to take off your kippah to go to the bathroom I personally try to hold you know if I have to go to the bathroom and there's just McDonald's somewhere blah, 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 I, I try as hard as I can to, to, to not go to those places um, however ultimately you're allowed to go there to go to the bathroom and, and go out if there's something let's say you're going to get it by a bottle of water or something like that however I wouldn't recommend I wouldn't recommend tea has to be kosher also has to have certain teas that are flavored. The flavor tea has to be kosher. The um, I wouldn't recommend. Let's say you go, you're very thirsty, so you go to McDonald's, you buy a, a McWater, whatever they call those things. I don't know if they even say water, right? You buy water, but it's in a McDonald's cup. I wouldn't do that because then it then it actually that that's already you know like yeah exactly right. So if it's a certain place that has like it's non kosher food, non kosher everything. If it's non kosher food in there, then you're not allowed to really get even drinks in there because most of Oh, so that's something, right. She's talking about a lounge. Lounge is different. Lounge you could go, usually go. Yeah, lounge is not a problem because people go there just to, you know. So a guy should have a kippah on? Yeah, there's no, yeah. As long as it, I mean, obviously, depending on the lounge, but, but regular lounges usually it's fine. It's most likely not kosher. Lounges is, is you know, there's, it's funny because somebody asked me recently, there's something cool, uh, you know, it sounds really cool. I never heard about it. In in the city, it's an ice bar. Yeah. yeah. And what, I, I haven't looked into it, so they asked me, are they allowed to go into it? And I'm not familiar, everything apparently is icy. Like, you call in with like fur, fur coats, right? All of a sudden, everyone comes pimps over there, and, and you're going over there. That's what it sounds like. That's how I picture it in my in my mind. And they serve you everything on ice. Now, um, I don't I don't know how it works, but if they're serving you a cup of ice, for example, now let's say you you know the whole place is freezing, so this, it stays it's below the freezing point, and you're drinking this this uh, this alcohol, whatever this liquid is. Say that it's all kosher. But what happens is, is that if they reuse that cup, now what happens is, is that let's say they you're drinking. Now when you're drinking, you're for sure melting something a little bit. Now when you're melting it, the liquid can go and and seep into the actual cup. Now let's say they'll go reuse it. They could even wash it wash it out. But there's still there's non kosher flavors going on in that cup. You're not allowed to use that cup. 
for you know for, for anything as opposed to glass glass washes out very sim- very easily so it's a big problem to go to those types of places but I'm assuming like it's a regular lounge where people are going to a lot of people date in lounges they go to they sit in the date lounges usually that's I've not a problem in tea, that's okay in if you get a tea they could you know they'll come with a box and say can you bring me the box right so it'd be a little bit difficult fine. it's fine huh? it has my slot the kosher the symbol get the, get one with the kosher symbol what no, okay I'm just making like so um. Let, now there is says the Chovot al Babot in the second in the second chapter of repentance. He says there are three kinds of repent of repentance. There are one, a person who repents. He actually does repentance. He says, you know, he does this. He does the whole, you know, shebang. And but why does he? Why is the ultimate repentance? It's because he didn't have the opportunity to sin yet. You know, he's just not in the in the area. But when the opportunity comes, oh yeah, he's sinning. It's like it's going to happen. He cannot hold himself back. So that's the lowest level of repentance. That's that's repentance number number one. It's somebody who is considered that he repented from his mouth, but not really not really inside. Level number two is somebody who repents. He really repents in his heart. He really doesn't want. To, he really really does not want to and, and to, to sin. And however, he longs for the. He oh, it's like oh, well, it's tough. But oh, I want to do that. So, oh, you know, but I'm not. But who do I? He longs for the desire, for the temptation. Right? And that, sometimes he'll fail, sometimes he'll succeed. That's level number two. Level number three, which is the highest level, he fulfilled all the conditions of repentance, which we're going to soon uh, explain. And he's always contemplating his sin. He's always putting it in front of him. He's always, but you know, he's, the, the sin is like, it's, 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 it's with him the whole time. And this guy will never, you know, he will never do it again. That's like his level. That's considered the highest level of repentance. Says the Rambam, this is how the Rambam says in Chochubah chapter 2. He says that when is somebody who completes complete repentance? And he gives an example of somebody, a man who has relations with a woman that's forbidden. Uh, so he goes and he has this this, uh, this uh, relations and he has a sin. When is complete repentance? He goes through the whole repentance process, but then the opportunity comes again. He's in the same place in, with the same woman and he has the same desire and he has the same strength for her. And he has everything is going exactly like it was before and this time he holds himself back. And this time he doesn't sin. That's somebody who has complete repentance. Now, it doesn't mean that people should put themselves in that situation. They'll be like, okay, I sit with the, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy. All right, guys, uh, meet me in my house, you know, uh, whatever time, and we'll recreate this scenario, and I'm not going to do it this time, right? That's an idiot, the fool, you stay away from it. But if it just so happens to come that way and you still refrain, that means that you have the highest level of repentance. Now, let's say somebody really wants to repent, but and they don't get into that same situation again. But God knows that if that situation would come and you would be able to overcome it, that's considered complete repentance. Make sense? Okay. So now there is uh, the Rambam also, and we'll go through it quickly because I want to. We have a lot of uh, stuff to go through. The Rambam says uh, there's a few things that a, a the repentance has to the the path of repentance. Number one is constantly cry out to God, constantly go uh, speak to God. Number two is performing charity, tzedakah, and all the good deeds. Number three is to separate himself as far as he can from the sin. And even the, number four, he even goes. Rambam says that when a person does chuba, he could even change his name. He's a new person, completely a new person now. And uh, this is the next one is to change his behavior entirely, right? All change his behavior completely. Now only doing the good. And the la- the last one is also exile. You go into exile, which is why if you ever realize when does Sukkot come, right after Yom Kippur, because sometimes let's say you're judged for you know, the person has to go into exile, whatever it is. So right at Yom Kippur it gets sealed, right? That's the ceiling. So what happens is is that a per- right after right after Yom Kippur we go into our own exile. We we'll go outside. We live outside our house. So if we were meant to do to go through some sort of uh, exile, we already accomplished it over here. Okay. Now, oh, this is important stuff. There is there is um, somebody. Who uh, let's say comes to Yom Kippur, a person should do chuba. Um, 
it went, I'm sorry, Yom Kippur, the Chuba helps where? Between you and God. But let's say somebody hurt a friend or insulted or, or affected something else. Yom Kippur is not helping that. You actually have to go and appease that other person. You have to actually go and say, I'm sorry, and, and make it up. Now, it's, first of all, it's very not good. If somebody comes and asks you for forgiveness, forgive right away. Always forgive right away. Do not hold the grudge. Do not hold them inside. Now, let's say you go, someone did something wrong, and you go over to that person, and you say, uh, do you forgive me? And he says, or she says, uh, no, not going to happen. So what do you have to do? What do you, how many times do you have to actually go back and do it? So it says that Abba, he has to go, he's, he takes a group of three friends, or a girl three friends, so it means something. You know, when you're coming, be like, you know, it's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, did you? You know, I'll be like, I'm sorry, what was that? So if, if you, when you bring three friends, and you, you tell them, listen, you know, I hurt you, I offended you, and I'm terribly sorry for what I did. You bring three friends, up to three times. If that person still doesn't, still says, no, I don't want to uh, forgive you, you've done what you can do. Right? So you have to bring three friends, three times. Three different times. Not like, you know, you forgive me? No. Okay, walk around the block. Forgive me? No. You walk around the block. Forgive me? That doesn't count. You go like, three different times in a different emotional mindset. And they should say three times? Like, I forgive they you. Should, yeah, they're supposed to say, yeah, they should say that. that but that, that means that it just comes from the heart. But even if they say it once, don't pressure them. Be like, no, say three times. And, and not three times. Be like OCD or something. <laughs> huh? Yeah, but you're right. That's what you should say when you when someone comes to you, you say makolach, makolach, makolach. I feel like in our level, there's not one person that we haven't hurt in some way. <coughs> so, like, how are we supposed to approach it coming towards? Or should I call every person in our phone and say like? You know, I mean, there's some people that if you hurt everybody in your phone. No, I think I mean in little ways. Like everyone's everyone's sensitive in one way or another, and we don't know what other people are feeling. In right, their heart. but I'm saying the ones that you know, the ones that you know. Yeah. So some people go and they'll send out like a mass text, everybody, in case I ever heard you, possibly never, never. Then this life, like, actually speak to them. If you know, if some, if you actually did something, then yeah, actually speak to them. Don't send them a text and be like, hey, uh, remember the time where I rode your over your cat? Uh, I'm really sorry about that. No, actually give them a call and say, I'm sorry, you know, Fluffy's not here with you anymore. <laughs> whatever it is, you know. So you, you actually go and you make an you make you appease it as a but but three times is only for a regular person but if it's let's say your rabbi and the rabbi doesn't forgive you up to a thousand times you have to keep on going again and again and again to ask for forgiveness so generally speaking usually rabbis no matter how bad they, they'll forgive because they live the Torah and the Torah is you know you're supposed to be easy to forget now okay now we're ready to begin that was introduction okay so uh, you're laughing I'm serious so uh, but we're running against time we're right until the nutrition comes okay so there are four parts of repentance this is strongly based off if anybody wants to look up the sources in the Chavot HaLevavot in the chapter of repentance strongly recommended it's not so long you can easily you can read it uh, easily in a sitting or two so it's a it's a it's a great great sefer to read through and you'll actually get a better understanding of it the Chavot HaLevavot separates the category into four things We'll, I'll explain it in three, and then we'll explain it in four. Number one, this is the categories, this is the ABCs and these of repentance. Number one is regret. Number two is stopping to sin. Number three is confessing. And number four is not sinning anymore. Now, if you realize, I said number two is stopping to sin, and number four is not sinning anymore. So some people, like for example, the Ben Yishchai, for example, combines it to three. You can do it very simple as three, which is regret, stopping to sin, which means stopping now and the future, and confessing it to God. Regret, stop, and confess. Those are the three things that you need to do for repentance. We're going to cl- we're going to classify the way the Chalvot Halvavot did it and four things because we're going to explain each one. We're going to explain each case of that and each one has five. And we'll go through we'll go through each one. Now, the first one is regret. Now, regret, this is unfortunately very hard for, for, for many people. Why? Because it's hard for them to regret something that they enjoyed. You enjoyed it. You had a good time. You enjoyed yourself. You had a party, whatever it is. And you're like, I can't really regret 
And not only that, is that people justify everybody. Everybody's the most is the is the is the best rationalist. Uh, that's a wrong word, but they rationalize for themselves, whatever that means, um, whatever the right word for that is. They justify everything that they did wrong. Is it? It's not so bad. Everybody else is doing it. Um, you know, I'm not worse like somebody else. You know, that did X, Y, and Z. So everybody justifies their bad. Regret means that you take away that justification. You have to actually take it away. Now, there's a very big difference with, between guilt and regret, right? And this is this is where people, you know, think that, you know, uh, um, for example, Christianity, it's like feeling guilty. It's like a guilty feeling. Judaism is not about feeling guilty. Regret and guilt is very different. Re- um, guilt is feeling worthless, bad. I'm a bad person. Guilt is the opposite. I mean, regret is the opposite. Regret is a positive acknowledgement that while my essence is pure, I did not live up to my potential. Like I could have done better. It's not like you're falling into depression, but, but when you regret, you are you are um, you're 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 realizing that you messed up and you could do better, as opposed to stupid person, stupid. You know, people actually hit themselves when they mess up, right? You ever had a date and somebody starts saying and says, come on, what are you saying? Push to the vent, right? You run, run, very fast. Very, very fast. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny because I was listening, the, the, someone sent me a little clip of like a comedian, you know, these online dating sites. These usually Jews, there are, but like, you know, for, for, what's the difference between, I forgot who it was, I wish I could quote this guy, but he says, what's the difference between a man and a woman that they go online dating? Um, and obviously, it's much better to go to a Shah Khan, even though there are, there are, as far as I understand, there are kosher online dating sites, uh, um, whatever, some, yeah, so yeah, Sinai, yeah, um, um, so, the, so, what's the difference? A guy, when he goes on a date, you know, when he, all he sees, let's say, is a profile picture, all he wishes is like, I hope that she's not this, and, she, and I hope that she looks like this and not 60 pounds overweight. You know, more than that, or 100. That's what the guy's thinking about. I hope that she actually looks like this. The girl thinks like, all right, I'm going without this total stranger. I hope he doesn't murder me. You know? And those are the two things, you know? A guy's like, I hope that she's not, she didn't lie in her picture. And she's like, I hope. He calls her friend, listen, if I don't come home at 10 o'clock, my GPS is on, just say, you know, signal to me, and I hope I don't get murdered. It's like two different, equally, you know, serious stuff. But uh, I'm joking. But but uh, um, but you know. But these are the issues that that, that people have. But regret. I don't know how I got to this. Regret. <laughs> I'm going back to regret because we have to, we have a lot to, to focus on. Regret again is not the feeling of guilt. It's not the feeling of uh, you know of of I'm a terrible person. It's a feeling that I, I could have done more. I could have done better, and I didn't. And by the way, that's a feeling that you should always feel like for the rest of your life. You should feel like I could do more. You should never be satisfied with where you are right now. I'm talking about the spiritual world. In the physical world, if you do that, you become a workaholic. But in the spiritual world, you could always do better. No matter how much you accomplish in your life, you could do more. Now, says the Chobot al-Vavot, a few things about regret. Number one is, first of all, your regret, how do you get yourself to regret? You fear the imminent punishment. Like, you feel like you, that when you sin, like you're literally getting taken out to the gallows. Gallows? Is that a word? Yeah. yeah. He says, you, you feel like you're getting, you're, you're, you know, that's it. You're getting punished right now. As opposed to in the future. When you feel like that, you're like, what? Because what is that? When do people feel bad? When they get caught. When they get caught, be like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, but the 10 years that you were scamming the government was fine. You know, you were partying with, on your yacht without a problem. All of a sudden you got caught, then you start regretting it. So when you sin, you would think of it as, as the punishment is right now, sort of as you got caught. Because God sees everything. You can't uh, hide anything. Number two, you should always be broken heart and humble. Always be, be, be broken about that. that, that you're, and again, not depressed. Not that you're depressed and you're sitting back like, oh, it's in there, it's in my life is over. You have to, you have to be broken and humble about it and go, continue going in the right direction. The next one is that the, the, the regret and the, and the remorse is, not the regret, the, um, I actually know the regret, the remorse is, is, you know, it, it finds, it, 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 
it goes into your conduct. For example, you're not, you don't walk like this, you know, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. You know, you're, you're humble yourself. The next one is, is, you know, you actually cry. You actually cry that you messed up. And this is some people can do it and some people can't. You have to bring yourself to that situation that you're able to. Why says the Torah? It says the I see, the, 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 the Midrash says that your eyes see, your heart desires, and then the body commits a sin. So where does all sin originate? Most of the time from the eyes. Eyes are usually the heart. Right? So when you cry, you're, you're fixing that. You're fixing that the tears are, are coming and they're cleansing, cleansing the, the, the sin where it originated from. Then is the fifth one is, I'm still in the, the category of regret, is that you rebuke your soul inwardly. You're like, you, you, you feel the shame of what you've done. You feel the shame. Now it says, you know, first of all, people usually don't feel shame of their sins. Shame is internally. Not like shame is like, you know, like, uh, you know, like you're, you're outside. It's an internal shame. Now, why why don't people feel this shame? Most people don't feel the shame because the Yitzhak knows how to trick you and saying, you know, don't worry about it. It's not so bad. It's okay. You know, you know, you really weren't sure about it. You didn't know about it. And some people don't even know that they have to feel the shame. So the number one way to get this shame and to get this part of the chuva process is you have to learn. You have to learn because if you don't learn, you're not going to know what's, what's, what you have to do and what you don't have to do. It says the, uh, says Rab Dessler, he says that, he, he brings from a Gemara in Bahot, page 12a, that it says that whoever commits a sin and is ashamed of it has all his sins forgiven. Not just one. You commit a sin, doesn't mean that you should go commit, okay, I'm going to commit this sin, I'm going to be so ashamed. It'll be great. You know, you, huh? you're, when you commit a sin and you're ashamed of it, they're ashamed to the full level that we'll speak about the, you know, shortly, that you, you know, like, how could you do this to God? How, how could that be? You're forgiven for all your sins. It's a, it's a very big thing to be, a, to be ashamed of a, of a, of a, of a sin. Yeah, this is part of the chuvah process. This is all the it's all on the on the umbrella of chuvah. This is under the umbrella of regret. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're to that point where you feel so ashamed, like, won't you be thinking about that for your whole life? What a big mistake! Ah, uh, very good. We're gonna speak about it soon. You can drop it. So the question is, are you supposed to? You supposed to? So that's what your we're gonna, whole life you're gonna think of that. What kind, how are you gonna be productive? So we'll speak about it. No, so that that's depression. You're speaking about depression. I'm not speaking about depression. Well, we're gonna speak about it shortly. Very good. So so. Um, Okay, so now the the next that was number one regret, right? Number two is stopping to sin. Now stopping to sin. Let's say somebody says confesses to God and says, "I'm so sorry, I did it." It's like and anybody continues sinning. It's like imagine. I hope this is a more of an example for a guy. Someone's going, he's punching you, right? So not for you, a guy punching you, a guy punching another guy, right? He's punching this other guy, and he's punching and he's punching. And every time he says, it's like, I'm so sorry, bro. I'm so sorry, man. I feel so bad that I'm doing this. And he keeps on punching him. And, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Stop. You're sorry. to Stop doing it. It's somebody who says, oh, you know, I sinned. I did something bad. I'm so sorry. But he keeps on sinning. The, the Gamal uses an example that he goes to the mikvah, but he holds a dead rat in his hand. Coming pure. You know, but he's holding a dead rat, a dead shabbat, dead or whatever it is that he's holding that is impure itself. So he's he can't make himself pure. He got to let go of it. You got to let go of the sin, and then you that's that's part of the chuvah process. You have to actually stop sinning. Now, not only do a person has to stop sinning, says the Chavot al Vavot. He says you have to. It's abandonment of everything the Creator has warned against. This uh, this is very important, and it's a very harsh for some people to hear. That uh, you know somebody did a really serious sin, and they came over to me and said, "Listen, you know you you can do chuvah on this. It's very possible. And if you don't." It's the worst level of hell. It's like, it's, it's deep down. It's not the part that's like a 12-month sentence, you know, that you get to come out afterwards with a nice tan, which, by the way, you don't get a nice tan. You go, you, I say you got, you can get out of there, but you got to do complete Shabbat. And I'm talking about everything, Shabbat, kosher, everything from zero to 100 right now. 
and um, and he's like, yeah, 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 whatever, and he doesn't do it, whatever. Obviously, he didn't do it. But but complete tshuva means that you're you're listening to everything that God says. Because why are you doing tshuva? You're doing tshuva because you hurt. You can't believe it. You're so hurt that God told you to do something and you didn't do it. And God's so awesome and amazing. It does everything for you. And how can I do that? But if you just do tshuva on one thing, but then you sin on so many things else, granted, it is considered a tshuva, but it's not it's not the level of tshuva that you want to be at. The level of tshuva that you want to be at is that you're listening to everything that God said. You love God so much that you don't you want to do everything he says because he does so much good for you. So now the next thing is in under under stopping the sin is also to to refrain from something that's gonna that that's permitted that's gonna lead to something that's that's for, uh, forbidden. For example, putting up a fence. There are some people they have certain temptations. They're they're required even though some things are allowed to they have to put up a fence. They shouldn't even go to that because don't put yourself in a situation that you know you're gonna fail. An example is let's say a woman goes to uh, um, let's say goes to the Caribbean and she knows it's very hard for her to dress modestly. So maybe don't go to a Caribbean, you know, where, where it's going to be even more difficult for you to dress. If you're able to, then fine. But if you're not able to, go somewhere cold. Go to Alaska. Go dog sledding. Right? It's a lot of fun out here. You can see the northern lights. Right? So um, you can sleep in igloos or fun stuff. So the next thing is under the same category of stopping to sin is that you stop to sin while you have the ability and the opportunity to still do it. For example, you're 150 years old. Right? And be like, okay, now I'm going to dress modestly. I mean, like, you don't have a, you know, your skin is to the ground. You know, you want to dress modestly. You want to do it. But the point is, you do it when you still have the temptation. You still have the ability to do it. It's like a guy, he's like, okay, I'm not going to sit anymore with women when I get older. Be like, it's, even though you could do chuba, you did sins until the day you die. And the day you die, you're still considered about chuba. But, but it's not. The highest level is when you do it, when you still have the ability to sit and be like, no, now I'm not going to do it. Now I'm not going to do it. That's, that's a high, much higher level of chuba. Yeah. So okay, that's a little confusing to me because we, you were saying before how we like a hot, the highest level of chuba is like not even annihilating the desire the, the desire to to sin, but at the same time you're saying it's a high level to to when you are able to do chuba when when it's a process. So for right, example, so like, I hear your question. So let me let me explain it like this. Now um, you wake up one day and you decide to do chuba. You're not gonna flip it out that you're like. It's, not, it's a process of build-up. First, you're going to desire it. You're going to want to do it. But you're going to hold yourself back. And you're going to build yourself up to a certain point that it's not even going to be a temptation for you. Which means is that is that is the highest level. That is the top level. Right? Very, very, very difficult in certain scenarios. Other scenarios, no. There's somebody who's who's so trustworthy, it's not a desire for him to steal. You know, like he's in a, he's in a candy store. And he, he has no temptations. And most people are in this case. They have no temptations to take it and put it in their pocket and run. You know, they don't. What are those people that steal a lot? Kleptomaniacs? What are they? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are certain people that have that desire, but certain people that are like, it's not it's not ingrained in them. And it's possible just like that, you're able to do that with every single sin. It's work. It's not going to come with just like, you know, chilling and relaxing. It's actually, you know, it's like a character buildup. Okay, good. Next, the um, going still on, on, on stopping to sin is also that you're stopping to sin not because you're ashamed and you're about your neighbors and what they see that you're doing or, or other people. It's because of God. It's because that you're ashamed of, of what you've done to your creator who gave you everything, who gave you your essence. And the fifth part of this, of, of stopping to sin, is a permanent stopping to sin, obviously. It's not like, okay, I'll stop in the summer, I'll stop in the winter, and I'll start again in the summer. You know, it's not like a seasonal type of uh, thing. Even though if somebody does chuba and they fall... That's not a reason to be like, okay, it's done. No, do chuba again. Get up again. Don't don't uh, let the satan say, okay, whatever, you failed. That's it. You're done. You're not, you're not you're good for nothing. You're not going anywhere. No, no, no. You fail once, get right back up, and get on the horse again. Number three is confession. 
And I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit fast because I have we have a lot to cover, and I really want to accomplish everything in one in one class. So uh, the the third third part part is is confession, verbal. And this, by the way, it's better, it's best to do it verbal confession. Why is it best to do verbal confession? Because when somebody goes and when somebody um, has and people throughout their mind have fleeting thoughts, they have of regret. They have, they have weird, people have the weirdest thoughts, right? And I guarantee you, you know, that you've known those thoughts because, you know, you've had those weird, you know, it's like, it's like, oh my God, how did I even think about that? So people, when does it become more real? When you take it out of your mouth. When you take it out of your mouth, that's when it comes, that's when it becomes uh, real. So it's better to, to actually uh, say it. Now, again, this is not something you have to announce to the public. It's something that you say to yourself, even if you say it very quietly, very, you know, uh, whatever you're doing it under your covers, doesn't matter where it is, but you're, you're bringing it out a little bit. That's very good. Now, when you uh, when you confess uh, your what, number one is obviously you confess your sin. Now number two is what you said before is that you recall the sin constantly, right? And w- the source of this is in Tehillim, Tehillim chapter 50, 51, verse five. It says, I place my sin before me constantly. Now this is not a, what it means is that is and this is why the Rambam says also that if let's say you sinned many many uh, moons ago, right? Years years ago, you did kill two young people. Should you come? Should you go back this young people and uh, and uh, try to repent again for the same sin that happened happened uh, years ago? And the answer is you should. You should. You should keep on repenting for serious sins that you did, or as much sins as you you know can't remember that you did in the previous years also. Now why? Why rehash? Many people say, come on, you know the past is the past. Let's live on life from right now. And the answer is when you constantly bring it up before you. The more it's not like of like something that's going to depress you and keep you bad and keep you down. And the point is that you it's fresh in your mind. If it's fresh in your mind, you will never repeat it again. If you constantly put it before you, be like, oh man, I remember how I felt after I did that sin. I was so bad. And the more that you do that, the more that you place it, you will you guarantee that you'll never fall in it again. So it's a sort of a, of like a, a barricade, offense, or whatever you want to call it, that's going to help you prevent. It's not something that's like you know like now you're going to suffer for the rest of your life because you're going to be depressed because you have to think about all the sins that you've done. No, this is something that will help you. Everything is for your benefit. People are very mistaken that they think that everything is for the negative aspect. Everything in the Torah is on the positive aspect. It might look negative, but it just means you're, you're misreading it. You're miscommunicating it. Now, the, additionally, if you're able to, you're supposed to fast. Right? And, uh, and many people, you know, you're not supposed to, if, if it's going to, if let's say someone's learning in yeshiva all day, and he fasts, he's going to have to take a nap, he's going to have to watch a movie, then obviously you don't fast, right? Because you're, you're, you're going backwards, right? There are many people, what do they do on fast days? They go, and they sit home, and they just, like, go through, like, movies. And I'm like, you're, you're like, going backwards. Like, a whole point of fast is introspection. Not to, like, let me try to just do whatever I can so I don't think about food, so I can get past this, like, next six hours, and I don't die from starvation, right? But... Isn't it also a form of like suffering? Yes. To to you know, mm-hmm. can I get whatever they did? So like, even if they're watching movies all day, they still have that hunger, which will like to a certain extent. The question is, is, it might be even better to eat than go learn Torah. Then I'm not saying that on fast. I'm right. saying on personal fasts. On personal fast, you bring right. up on yourself. If if you have an option of fasting, and watching movies all day, mm-hmm. or eating and learning Torah all day, it's a no brainer. Eat and learn Torah all day, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next is. Um, you're, and this is part of the, of the thing I was said before. You're constantly beseeching God for, for forgiveness, to atone a sin. And this is also very important, and this is a good kapara, that if, let's say, you fall in something, a good kapara, a good atonement, is that you help other people from preventing from falling into that sin. So if somebody has a certain sin that he did or she did, and they really want to get complete atonement for that, they start helping other people not fall into that sin. That's a very, very big atonement. And, uh, um, you know... I don't have time for sorry. I'm sorry. I have to go on. It's gonna get late. I, you know, I said it already. I have to say there was once a, there was once a guy who did a, who did a very serious sin. Um, I'll tell you what it was. It was adultery. 
And he came over to me, and um, and you know, I was, you know, I, was, I said the seriousness of it, and I told him all the stuff things that he should do. And then I said, you know what? There's a big rabbi coming. Come to the um, come to the come to the lecture, and uh, I'll I'll meet I'll, I'll arrange it for you afterwards. Speak to him about it, see what he can do. And the rabbi told him this thing. He said, listen, what you have to do is you have to make sure that nobody else does it. You you spread this out. And he says, fine. And he's like, he comes out and he's like, I know what I have to do. And I'm like, oh, hold up, hold up, one second. And he's like, he's like, he thinks that he has to do just now one thing, and he's good. I'm like. That's just part of it. You have to do the whole thing. And I was there. I was there at a certain point, and he, the, we, were, we were sitting. We were learning in, in another class, and he makes it. He's like, guys, I have an announcement to make. He's like, adultery is really, really bad. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> sleep with married women. All right, go on. And I'm like, you know, that's great, and and that's good, but but you know, that's not that's not. I'm, I'm talking about preventing from, and that does sometimes prevent people from sinning. You never know. You never know that you tell these. You know, it, it comes to effect. But that's not the, the you know, that's not it. You know, that the kapara is not it. That's a very strong thing, and you should strongly do it. Somebody has a problem with snoot, help other people get, get snoot. Somebody has a problem, a man has a problem with wasting seeds, you help other people prevent that issue. And that, that also brings atonement a to you. Next is the fourth one was not to repeat, repeat, repeat it in the future, which means is we spoke about number two is stopping to sin. Number four is stopping to sin from uh, also in the future. Now, this is somebody should always think about it and, and think that, you know, he is not going to, he, he, he could weigh it. You could do a sin now, which is good for a few moments, but then you're going to suffer a lot. So you're, you're weighing it, you're like, you're, you're not going to do it in the future because you realize that if you have a head on your shoulders and you're not thinking from here and men are not thinking from down there, you'll, you'll be able to, you know, overcome it. Number two is, and this is I tell people all the time, here's also a source from the Chavot al-Babot, think about the day of death. Think about the day of death. What the, that the creator and he says of you will be furious at him for not for, for what for what you what you have done. Think about the day of death is a very very good uh, good thing to, to to help you stop sinning. It's it's a it's a big wake up call. Number three, you should um, you, you should feel like, you know like God did so much good to me, and look what I'm doing to him. Not like you're hurting him or affecting him or, or in any sort of which way, but you know he did so much for you and he asked you for a certain thing. What? Yeah, but that's a good word. Like but yeah, you're doing he does so much for you and you're going against. And fourth is that obviously that if, if somebody stole something, you know, return it. It's not, you know, stopping to sin is not just stopping to sin. It's also fixing it. If you stole it, be like, okay, I'm not stealing anymore. But you have like $10 million in the bank that you stole from so many people. You have to actually go and return that money. You actually have to go back and give them the money. And if you don't have it, you have to work it out. And you say, listen, I'm apologize. I, you know, I did you, but I don't have the money. Can we work on some sort of uh, payment plan or whatever it is? And the um, okay, and that that's basically the the just the gist of it in the way the Chobot about explained. Now let's review quickly, and I want to finish off with this important story. Um, number one is that you have to regret. You, you have to really feel bad that you did it. You have to really, and sometimes it's hard. It's hard because you enjoyed it. And you have to bring yourself into that situation where you are going to regret it. Now, again, we spoke about it, not guilt, regret as, as, as the fact that I have the ability to do so much better and I messed up. You know, and I could do better. I have the potential. And you go and you work yourself on that. Number two is stopping the sin. This is very simple. We're going to go just in three in three aspects. We're going to review it in three. Number one is regret. Re- really regret. Right? Not like, remember the party and, you know, on the cruise? Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, yeah. Remember those? Yeah, oof, yeah that was a good time. Hey, smoke your cigar. And you're like, yeah, good times, good times. Sipping on the beer. That's not regret. That's that's still living the moment. Regret is feeling bad. And when the guy says, oh, remember the times? And be like, I can't, I feel terrible what I did. You know? 
Like, oh, come on, you're a buzzkill. Get out of here. You know? And it's good. That's the, If you're a buzzkill in that situation, first of all, they're, they're reminiscing about that. It's good for you to go. <laughs> Anyways, the next thing is is stopping to sin. Stopping to sin is stopping now and stopping in the future, which means that's a very obvious, very simple thing. You want to you wanna do tshuva? You obviously have to stop to sin. Now, even if you stop and you know this is going to be very difficult for me, I'm not going to be able to last. I'm not going to be able to do it. You do it as long as you can. If, God forbid, you fall, you get up right back again and you start again. You start again. You don't you don't give up and be like, it's not going to happen. That's it. No, you stop. You do it. And you'll see. The more you try, the easier and the longer stretch that you'll have between relapses. Right? Or hopefully, if you really, really do it, you could do it for the first time without any relapse. And it's possible. You just have to really want it. And the last one is confessing to God. Is is And again, this is not confessing in public. And this is not confessing unless you sin to somebody else. Then you do have to confess to that person. But this is talking about uh, confessing to, uh, to, the, to, uh, to God saying, listen, I'm sorry for what I did. And yada, yada, yada. Okay. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. What's the idea behind Sheva equals Which means, it says seven times a righteous man will fall and he'll get up. The number one is there's no person, there's only four people in the creation of the world that never sinned. Right? Everybody else, no matter how righteous they were, they fell. They sinned. Everybody sins. But what is a righteous person? A righteous person gets right back up, right again. A righteous person will fall, will sin, but he'll get up, back up. That's why it says that if you see a righteous uh, a tzaddik that goes and did a sin in one night, you know by the time the morning came, he already did tshuva. Because he's not going to, he can't, he can't, uh, his soul is so, he can't, he's not going to do it. So everybody falls, everybody messes up. And you think that, yeah, I'm never going to mess up again. If you mess up, depression is the wrong, is the wrong key to your, to your solution. It's not the depression. You'll fall down, you'll get right back up again. The, por- the important thing is, you get right back up, right up again very quickly. You don't wait. You know, be like, okay, I'll go, whatever. I'll figure it out, you know, a different time. I'm at it. The second that he, he, he slips, he has to get up right back again. You know, if he's if he's injecting heroin and then he's, and he stops. And then when he's, the first time he starts again, he has to stop right then and there. If he doesn't, the next step he's going to be either dead or rehab, right? It's usually those two options. So I want to I wanna finalize with, with an amazing point, and this is the power of the mouth. The power, we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be asking for for uh, a good year. We're coming to a Yom Kippur, we're going to ask for forgiveness of our sin. And we're constantly using our mouths to beseech God, asking forgiveness. Listen to the importance of the, mouth, of the mouth. First of all, you have bullets, missiles. They could affect, you know, up to a certain, even could go, you know, thousands and thousands of miles. A person through his mouth can destroy somebody in the other side of the world, in an instant. With just saying, you know, not only that, a person can even destroy a reputation of somebody who's dead. About, oh yeah, when he's alive, you know, I did that. You can destroy somebody like that. So the power of the mouth is very, very important. More than that, somebody who doesn't speak the, uh, somebody who doesn't speak the truth, somebody who keeps on speaking gossip, all those bad, evil traits, cursing, all those things. When he gets into the next world, he'll have like a black, or she will have a black tongue. It's like it, it, the physical attribute will, will actually any sin that you did with your arm, it sticks out. Like your tongue will like roll down to the floor. You have to like carry it over your shoulder. You're like, oh my god! And everybody will know all the sins that you did. It's it sticks out in public. Now let me share with you this story. It's an amazing story. There was um, there was a man who was very wealthy but didn't have any children for many years. And uh, they kept on trying. They kept on doing things. Finally, after many years, there were there were an elderly couple and they were blessed blessed with a with a baby boy. And the, this father, like, had a really strong connection with this baby boy. Like, he, like, you know, he, like, really, you know, they bonded. They really, really, really connected. And this, gro- this boy grows up, and, you know, he gets to the marriageable age, and he gets married. He gets married, and he goes, and he lives off with his, with his wife, and he starts working in his father's business. Father's very well off. And he goes, and, uh, um, you know, he tries to have a child, and it becomes very difficult. And they can't have a child, and they're going on for years, and the father's, you know, you know, trying to help them with all the things that he helped them with, you know, go to this doctor, go to that. And it was very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. After many years, he was they were finally blessed also with a child. 
Now they were blessed with a child, and the you know so that the, the father had a connection with his child. But whoever, the person who had even a greater connection was a grandfather. Because the grandfather left the business already. The father went to, to run the business. And the grandfather now, the father was never around. He was always, you know, making the business bigger and better, yada, yada, yada. So the, the grandfather sort of was very close with his grandson. So much so that he was like a father to him. Every day they would go out. Every, you know, they had a really, really close relationship. And when this, when this boy was about six, seven years old, the grandfather got sick and passed away, and the boy took it really harsh. It was, he felt like it was his father passed away, and it was very, very difficult for him. But he was able to get over it. Now, a few years go by, and the boy starts not feeling so well, and he starts getting sick, and, and you know things are not going you know the way. So they bring him to the doctor. The doctor says it's okay. They bring him after a few times, and the doctor says, you know, what, you know something's odd over here. Let's run some tests. And they run some tests, and they find out, that unfortunately, this little boy, nine-year-old boy, has 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 cancer. And, you know, so, so the, the, you know, the doctor, you know, they start giving all sorts of treatments and they try the treatments and, you know, it's not really working so well. So the, this father has a lot of money. And he said, listen, this is my only son. I'm not going to turn any of, he flies, he flies in doctors from around the world, the best of the best to try to do whatever they can. So one doctor came and said, listen, I can't do anything. It's, I really can't. And they, they finally find a doctor that says, listen, there is a certain treatment that's not yet so, so known that I think it might help. So the father says, anything, whatever it costs, just do it, save it, it's my only son. So they go, and uh, they start performing the treatments, and, you know, months go by, and the, the, the boy's, like, fluctuating, better, worse, better, worse, and suddenly there was, uh, at one point, that everything turned for the worse, and he was getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and, you know, the father was, was there, and he sees the boys, like, you know, going out, going lower and lower and lower, finally, you know, and he's hooked up to all these machines, and the doctor's there, and the doctor's saying, listen, the, the you know, it's, it's really not working, you know, as well as, as it was planned, it's, and, it, you know, he's, he's actually, um, you know, going backwards. So while the father and the doctor were singing, suddenly, you know, the, the alarms of the machine start beeping, and the doctor sees it, and he's like, he, he calls a code, you know, he goes to the doctor, and he says, you know, he pushes him out of the room, he says, listen, we, we, need, to, we need to work right now. They're working, he sees like a bunch of people running into the hospital room with all the machines and all the, the, all the machinery that they need, and two minutes later, the, the, the doctor comes out and says, listen, we need to do an emergency operation now, or, or he's not going to make it, pray. And when a doctor tells you to pray, you pray. And he's, the father is like, well, it's my only child. He takes out a tehillim, and he starts bawling, crying. This uh, surgery was hours, and he finished the entire tehillim, end-to-end twice. The entire tehillim was soaked from his tears. And he's like, please, God, please, it's my only son. Please don't take him away. And uh, the doctor comes out after that surgery, and he says, uh, um, please come to my office. So he says, doctor, you know, just give it to me. He says, no, I need you to sit down. And the father's like, oh, man. So the father goes, he sits down in the office, and the doctor says, listen, he says, we were able to stabilize him to this point. But while I was inside, I saw that, um, you know, the cancer spread everywhere. And there's, there's, at this point, you know, he, he's alive and he's, he's okay for now, but he's not going to last. He's, you know, he has, I would say, two weeks to a month left. And the doc, and the, the father starts crying. He's like, no, it can't be. You got to do something. He starts screaming and he starts, you know, throwing things at him. And, you know, the doctor's like, listen, you know, I wish I could. I really wish I could. I really wish I could do something. But I'm sorry. That's it. There's n- my hands are tied. There's nothing else that I could do. There's nothing else that medicine can do for this kid. It's just it's it's done. So the the parents over there are sitting there, in complete shock. Like, what are they supposed to do? Uh, they go see their boy. The boy's sitting over there. You know, he's still. You know, he's able to. He opens his eyes. He's able to talk. And you know, he says. Uh, he goes. He says, "Mommy, am I going to be okay?" And the parents couldn't answer. Like the mother looked away. And the boy, you know, even though he was nine, he was able to, uh, you know, pick up on some signs. So they meet with the doctors. They meet with the nurses and everything. And they say, uh, "Listen." Um, there's really no point of you being in the hospital anymore. Uh, we suggest you enroll in a hospice program. Hospice is end-of-life care. 
It's where it, all they do is basically just try to comfort and make sure that the, when the patient goes, it goes very uh, without without pain. So they start fighting, but then they realize they're barking up their own tree. So they sign the papers and they roll them in hospice and they say, "Listen, take him home. We're going to take you home. We're going to set you up with nurses. We're going to set you up with whatever it is that you need. Um, go home." So they're not only they're completely in shock. Um, they go with the parents. They put the boy in the wheelchair. And they wheel out this little, you know, little, little tiny boy in his skinny scrawny from all the, from all the chemo that he went through. And they bring him into the car. They put him inside the, they put him in the back seat. And the parents sit in the car just like for like 10 minutes, just not saying anything. They're just like in complete shock. You know, the mother's crying, the father's this. And then suddenly the, um, you know, they're like sitting there for like, it seems like, you know, a half hour, not even, not even moving from the parking spot. And there's a little voice in the back, and it's like, Daddy? And the father and the mother both jumped. They even forgot that the child was over there. They were, like, completely immersed, and like, what are we going to do? That uh, the father's like, yeah, yeah, son, what is it? They said, um, you know, can we go to Grandpa's grave to, to pray on the way home? And the father says, yeah, that, you know, that's a great idea. It it's not so far from the hospital. Let's, let's do that. So the sun was coming up now. Um, it was sunrise, and uh, they drive to the, hot, to the grave. And, you know, the boy had a very close connection with his, with his grandfather, and he decides he wants to go pray by the grave of his grandfather. He goes, and they, they get to the graveyard, they get to the cemetery, they put him back in his wheelchair. He has, you know, if you can only picture this little scrawny boy, no hair, big black yarmulke, just like circumference of his head, being wheeled in this oversized wheelchair to his father's gra- his grandfather's grave. So the father wheels it, the mother's walking nearby, and they park the wheelchair right in front of the grave. And they just all stand there waiting. And they see that the boy slowly, you know, like shaking, tries to stand up from his wheelchair. But his feet were so weak that he fell on top of the grave. And he fell on top of the grave. And then for the first time, the parents, they saw that his that the son started crying. Started crying. The cheeks were running down his, the, the tears were running down his sunken cheeks. And he's sitting there. And I want to tell you what, what he was crying. And I want to, I'm actually going to read it inside. And he started crying as if he was speaking to his grandfather. And he said to this, Grandpa, I love you so much. And I really, I can't wait to see you. And to be with you. But I beg of you, please, I don't want to see you just yet. I'm only nine years old. Please do whatever you can. Go to Hashem and beg him that I should please be able to live. Not only for me, but daddy, but for daddy and mommy also. And the boy goes on. He says, I know that I'm an only child. And mommy said that she can't have any kids as I was a gift from heaven. So please, grandpa, pray, pray to Hashem that he doesn't take mommy's present away. And with that, the parents heard that, they just bawling, crying. They just completely, they fall on top of their kid, and they're, they're just like crying and they're praying the Saint Eileen. And meanwhile, in heaven, the grandfather sees this, and you know, it's been, you know, it's been some time since he, you know, he sees he's those, and he's like, and he has such a connection to this boy, he's like, whatever it takes, I'm gonna get him to, to stay in this world. I don't care if I have to give him my ulama ba, I don't care what it is, my grandchild is staying in this world. And he goes and he runs and he makes a big, he goes into the heaven, he goes into the, he says, let me speak to God, I need to, I, I, let me speak, get me inside, I need to make a request. And they go back and forth, they say, fine, you know what, you wanna go inside, go inside. So he goes inside, he's preparing his speech, he goes inside, and he stands in front of, you know, the judges, and he says like this, he says, hmm, and he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, he's thinking words, and he wants to say, it, but words are not coming out. And he's like, mm. and he's like, he's like, what? And he feels his face, and there's no mouth there. So he's like, you know, he's he runs back to the to the, you know, very quickly to the grave. He's he's running back and forth, and he's trying to scream, says, save, save my, save my grandchild, but no words are coming out of his mouth. So he, he's very confused, not sure what's going on. And the guard, over, the angel over there says, let me explain to you. He says, when, if you misuse your mouth in this world, if you talk during tefillah, when you are in, in synagogue, if you, mis- you spoke Lashonaha, if you spoke gossip, if you, you know, spoke things that were not true, you spoke falsehood, then in this world, you don't get to use that. Your mouth gets closed off. You don't have a mouth in this world. And, you know, so he's going back and forth, nothing doing. He can't, he can't speak to God. 
So he's sitting there. He's like, he doesn't. Know, going back to the story in the, in, in, the, in this world, they the, they finish praying and they go home. That night, the father, the grandfather, comes to the father in a dream, and he says, "Listen." He says, I cannot do for you anything in this world because of, you know, I wasn't careful in my speech. I spoke when, you know, in the synagogue, I spoke directly at the Torah. I said things I wasn't supposed to speak to. I said, I cannot use my mouth in this world. I can't. But I'll tell you what you should do. He says, you have to be, make sure that you're super careful in this. Super careful, you and your wife and, your, and, and, and the boy. Completely careful in, in watching your mouth. Speak only what you need to speak to. Don't speak Lashon Don't speak any falsehood. Don't do anything like that. And he said, and he follows up with this. And he says, listen. Every time that you eat something, make sure you say a bracha loud. And make sure that the boy hears it and answers amen. Every single, every single time he answers amen, he creates a malach. And the gematcha, the numerical value of amen is 91. The same numerical value as malach. Every time that you make a blessing, you say amen, you just created a malach. And he says if he makes enough blessing, he'll, he'll collect an arsenal of angels that will possibly be able to help him. That possibly be able to help him. So the father wakes up and he's like, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. And he just changes the whole, you know, he puts in his, in his son's room, he puts all the bachot, and he has people come over, and they just make blessings. And this little kid was really so involved in it. And when they, he make a blessing, and the kid would go with all his concentration, with little tiny fist, a little scrawny body, scream amen. And then he, they would leave, and he would start saying, no, 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 bachachona. People forget about that one, the blessing after the food. And he makes that, and again, he concentrates hard, and he says amen. And it was such a, such a sight to see. And this kept on, you know, this kept on, this kept on going, and a week goes by, and they're making bachot, and they're so careful with their mouth. The time goes by, and slowly, slowly, the month passes, and the kid's still there. Then it got better, but he's still over there. And the, two months passes, three months, six months passes, the kid's still there. The doctor's like, you know, it's been six months. We gave him a month. You know, let's do some more tests. They do. They start doing some more tests, and they see that somehow, miraculously, the cancer is shrinking. They cannot explain it. Medical cannot explain it, but somehow it's shrinking. So important is the use of your of your mouth. We should all live until 120. But there's going to come a time where your kids or your grandkids are going to come to your grave and they say, "Listen, mom, dad, pray for me." Pray for me. You know, I'm having a hard time with Shidduchim. I'm having a hard time with money. I'm, my, this child is sick. This, I need this. And this sick. And this, and this. And, so, and you want to help. You want to help? You have to make sure that you have a mouth in the next world. You want to have a mouth? Use your mouth properly. You didn't use your mouth properly? Do tshuva. This is what we're here for, and this is what the today is. So you do tshuva today. You misuse your mouth? Make sure that you start using your mouth in the right way. Now, if we can finish with, this, with just the point of this, that, that realize how powerful a mouth is. This is what changes us from humans to animals. Our power of our speech, and people misuse it all the time. Speaking nonsense, they speak it during the, uh, during the reading of the Torah. They speak during the, the, the show, and, and what they speak about such stupid things. If you ever listen to conversations, well, you shouldn't, but but some people have such loud voices that it's hard not to. Most times, people speak about it, nothing, absolutely not, like like not even like like if you would miss it, you would not lose anything. You know, you, it's not like you'd be like, okay, so to summarize to summarize our you know conversation we had there. There is no summary because it was absolutely nothingness. The hour that you spend chatting in Starbucks, nothing. Complete waste of time. If you ever realize what you use your mouth for, do you know if you're going to have a mouth in the next world? Do you know? Can you say that, yeah, my mouth, I'll have in the next world. I'll be able to pray for my kids. I'll be able to get that. I'll be able to work as a good, a good uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, attorney for them in the next world. <coughs> Nobody knows that. You have to be very careful. You're praying. Use your mouth for good. Make the bachot. Make the prayer. Now, I want to finish being that the, the Nishis is not here yet. So I want to, I want to say another uh, uh, important story of, of how, your, how your life in, over here is going to affect the next world. And there was once a, there was a um, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak a very very holy righteous man. Um, he 
was uh, he had a son, a son-in-law and a daughter that they had a uh, a baby boy and it was it was a time for a bleat. Now the way that he always used to do is this rabbi the bleat would be right in the beginning of the morning, right in the, early in the morning sunrise the bleat right away in the beginning. So um, they set it up. They see the rabbi comes to the synagogue and they're waiting there with the whole group of people waiting for the bleat to start. And the rabbi says nothing, goes straight to his room, straight to his room, locks the door. And uh, so they're sitting over there, they're waiting an hour, they're waiting two hours. Meanwhile, people are like, listen, you got to go to work, you can't stay here. So people start leaving. And uh, he, you know, by the end, he comes out four hours later, the rabbi. And uh, the rabbi says, with all smiles, all right, let's do the bleak. So everyone's confused. They had a, just about a minyan over there. They sit over there, they do the bleak, and the, the you know, the, the rabbi was involved in the bleak. And the rabbi... And the way that it works is you do the bleep and then there is somebody who says, you know, and, and his name will be, and he listens to what the father says, and he calls out the name. But the rabbi says, and his name will be who to leave. Didn't even ask the father. He says, he already named the child for them. So they're like, you know, all right, you know, it's a big rabbi, so we're not going to say anything yet. But uh, after the after the bleep, after the whole thing, the son-in-law goes over to his father-in-law, the big rabbi, and he says, listen, um, I, you know, I have two questions for you. Number one is... You know, usually you're so quick on doing the bleep. Why did you go into your room and, you know, wait four hours later? And number two, why did you, you know, name this? We had a different, you know, we had a different name in mind. Why did you name him that name? So the the rabbi explained as follows. He said, um, you know, when I came to the synagogue this morning, I noticed a spiritual black cloud, so to speak, was hovering in heaven. And I saw that something was going on in there that that that's, uh, was shaking the world. So I went straight into my room to see, you know, go through meditations and, and get to the level and see what's, go- what's really going on. And uh, when I got there, uh, they told me that what happened was, was there was a certain, there was a certain rabbi that uh, he passed away. And when he passed away, what they do is the rabbis, even though they don't, go, they don't need to go to hell, they still pass them through hell. They still have to take like a, like a detour through hell to see like, you know, maybe they could have helped this person. Maybe they could have done more for this. So it's like sort of a detour. Now what happened was, so they're passing this rabbi through hell. And this rabbi, he's, he's, walking, he's walking through the hell. And then he just jumps into the watery fires of, of hell. And so what, they have to shut off all the fires because what is it? They can't, the rabbi's not supposed to be there. So the angels come over to him and be like, come on, we got to go. And the rabbi says, no, we're not going. So he says, what are you, so what's going on over here? He's like, your place is not here. You're going to, he says, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving unless I take some Jews with me. So um, the angels are like, uh, listen, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, you got to go. And the rabbi says, well, I'm not going unless I take Jews with me. So they're going back and forth, back and forth. Finally, they said, uh, you know what? Let's bring it, from, let's bring it to, the, to, the, to heavenly court. So they bring it to the heavenly court, and I said, "Listen, he doesn't want to leave, and we need to, we, you know, we need to." So he said, "He's not leaving unless he's bringing he's bringing uh, Jewish souls with him." So they said, "All right, let's. We have to check how he lived this life." He says, "Because he said a some, he said something. If he said something, that means does he keep his word to it? Now, if he lived this entire life always keeping his word, that means in the next world he also is will always keep his word. So now let's see where where he is. So they go, they look through his entire life, and you see he always kept his word." So they said, listen, he kept his word in this world. He's going to keep his world, his word in this world. So he said he's not leaving until he's taking out Jews. He's going to get to take out Jews. So they said, okay, fine. Now, how many Jews am I supposed to take out? So they say, it depends. How many Jews he saved in this world, that's the number that he's going to get in the next world. So they do a calculation, and they count 220 Jews he saved. So they tell the rabbi, listen, you got 220 people. He goes to the lowest part of hell, and he takes out 220 Jews. And uh, and then he takes out another 220 Jews. So he comes up with 440 Jews by the entrance. And, you know, they do a quick count. They'll be like, you know, um, no, you, wrong number, 220. 
He says, listen, I was only able to save 220 because those are the resources that God gave me. I wanted to save more. I just didn't have the resources. Had God given me more resources, I would have saved more. And they look into it. They see that he's right. He was able to take out all the 440 out of, those, out of, those, uh, out of hell. The way that a person lives his life in this world is the way that he is going to be in the next world. If a person's a liar, you're going to be a liar in the next world. If you're, going, if, if you're somebody who is immodest, the immodesty is going to stick out in the next world. It's not going to be like you can't hide it. It's eternal shame. Shame, by the way, embarrassment is the worst punishment. People always will, will always say they'd rather suffer physical pain than, than emotional pain, than emotional embarrassment. If somebody says, uh, you know, listen, we'll either embarrass you in public in front of 100 people and you're like a really, really embarrassing thing or uh, we'll, we'll give you like 10 smacks, whatever. Yeah. Everybody will say, give me the smacks. Give me, give me the physical pain. You know, obviously that, you know, it's not like, you know, either that or cancer or something like that. Cause, but I'm saying obviously like it's something that people, the worst pain is emotional pain. Is the emotional pain. In the next world, that's part of the punishment. The punishment is emotional pain. That you're going to go over there. You did a sin with your, with your arms or whatever it is. Your arms are going to be like black and bloated up. Whatever it is, it's going to stick out. It's going to stick out and it's going to look disgusting and you're going to have that emotional pain but it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be that way because that's what you have chuba you have chuba you could complete yourself to the to no matter what you did no matter how far you have fallen no matter of how much bad you have done you have a way out and the way out has to start today don't wait don't wait until until later because it might not be a later it is very very important that you start it now do not push it off that this is very important i strongly recommend if you don't you know if you if you're not familiar that re-listen to the show it's because other things going to be posted online it's important this this aspect is this is the basic steps of chuba this is it this is the basic steps of of chuba any questions yeah, um uh to what happened? Why did they name the boy that name? Oh, the good thing. I, thank you. I didn't completely forgot about that. So the father, so the, the, the rabbi said that rabbi's name was Yehuda Lake. And he says he's the one who just passed away. He's the one who, he, if he's that type of righteous man, I think that you would want your son to have that name. And the father oh, says, the one who yeah. Took people from... Yeah. And he says, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I, don't, I don't get like, what was the disturbance that he saw a black cloud? The Can fire of hell was off. He saw the fire hall off. So it, so it, it was a different rabbi that was there. And yeah. He, and the father just happened to see it. Yeah, the, oh, the, okay. yeah, the rabbi. Okay. It's good. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. And um, also a different question. So nobody's perfect. You're somehow somewhere right. going to do a chet later on in your life. Right. So is there a point to do teshuvah for something that didn't happen yes. yet? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I thought you said something else. No, you don't. Uh, you'd be like, well, listen, um, tonight like, is Saturday to, night. I know it's going to be a bad night. You're not you, be perfect forever. No, you do chuba after the sin. Oh, okay. Right. But I don't mean, think that way. <laughs> but yeah, the girl, yeah, the goal is that you could, don't, uh, if, you should do chuba for the sins that you did, not for future sins. Hopefully there won't be any future sins. But if there will, you do chuba after the thing. But in a, in a sense, what you're saying is not so wrong because if you do that, you're, you're less likely sin. But, the, but you're not, you know, it's, do chuba on the previous stuff, chuba does, uh, uh, on the future things, um, if it does happen to come to it, you do chuba right away after that. And by the way, you can do chuba like literally right after. Like people think like, okay, I just did the worst sin. God doesn't want to hear me right now. But don't. That's the that's the answer. You do chuba right then. Don't wait. And people think, okay, I did a sin. You know, I'm not getting God. I'm not going to pray now. Uh, come on, God. You know, after that, I feel so disgusting. That's just a, that's a satan talking to you. He is so smart. He oh, he's such so good at his job, right? But you, what you have to do is right then and there start working on start start the repentance process. It's a process, and you build on it and you grow in it. The more you get yourself used to this process, the easier it becomes for any other sin that you do. And you shouldn't do any other sins. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. Any other questions? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also heard, like, um, regarding when you pray, there's no such thing as a perfect prayer. 
like um, you can't have kavana for everything. So like throughout a whole year, Hashem's like taking like different combining parts it to yeah, one perfect one. Technically, yeah, your person has to have kavana. Yeah, a person is supposed to concentrate in, in each word, and it's very hard for people to concentrate. Mo- most people, what they say is, you know, usually after you pray, you have to say tefillat adaf because you went to Israel and in your mind and you're in other places and you're not you're not even thinking. Some people that they're so used to prayer, they're they're praying. And be like, okay, how do I get up to here? Mm-hmm. You know, and you continue praying. You know, like you don't even realize that you got up to here. But sometimes, you know, in Shmonesa, you do stuff on right? So some guy was, you know, he's like, you know, he starts Shmonesa, and he's thinking, and he's like, oh, business, and then I have to go on vacation. And then he feels somebody hit him. And he jumps up, and he realizes he hit himself. Because, you know, but he's in his mind, he is already, you know, in other places. He's praying, he's not even realizing what he's speaking about. So that's obviously not the optimal prayer. But isn't that- like you're trying to do a good prayer and it's not even going to be good you have to work on it it's, it's a hard thing to work on by the way because it's something that you have to constantly work on and it's something that you have to be able to focus but with it, it, it comes the more no it is worth something but every prayer is worth something you have to work on it so like by the time you work on it there will be previous ones that weren't Does it, even those previous ones are still counted as prayer you want it to be powerful. You have a you have a bow and arrow, and then you have a missile. Like a chetto, right? Saying technically saying God's name when you in a certain thing is considered a, a chet, but but you're still supposed to pray. Okay. Don't be like I can't pray. I'm not gonna be able to concentrate, so I'm not but gonna if pray. If you're if you're on the pr- process of working on it and improving it, then that's that's yes, impartial tshuva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're working towards that way. You still pray. Pray. A lot of people think, okay, well, I don't, I can't pray because I'm, I'm not fully, fully concentrating, fully focused. So I might as well not pray. The answer is no. You pray, and you know, uh, you keep on building yourself up. You get the idea is you're going in the right progress. You're you're progressing. You know, you're taking steps forwards every time. That's the idea. Okay. Um, okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.